The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Well, hello, Refuge Church. Well, today is a big day for sports. We are four days away from the Winter Olympics. Very exciting, very exciting. It's really unfortunate that the Super Bowl is getting so overshadowed by, um, by the Olympic yeah. Games. Speaking about the Olympics, I, uh, I just want to let you know, I'm not going to be here the next two weeks. I'm going to let you know that I haven't skipped town, even though I have. I just haven't done it for good. I'm going to be gone for two and a half weeks um, traveling in Asia, and I actually will be in South Korea for 12 hours during the Olympics. So who knows, I might see Sean White. <laughs> likely. More likely than staying here, let's say that much. So um, I, I did buy a camera and I was thinking about the, the first two pictures being pictures of you guys. Not <laughs> you, <laughs> you, one of you was like, me? Um, no, all of you. Uh, but then I thought that would kind of be awkward. So um, didn't do that. Um, but I will just seal this view I have in my heart. <sighs> so, um, <clears throat> uh, yeah, I will miss you guys, pray for you guys while I'm gone. Um, as you know, we are in the Bible. We are reading through the Bible as a church. Um, if you would like to join us right now, we're... we're We are from starting January 1. We are are right in the thick of Leviticus. And uh, and if you get the Bible app, the Bible Project app on your phone, you can go into the settings and start it and just join us right in Leviticus. Um, this uh, This is prime time. So as we are reading Leviticus Numbers, I know that we we get into our scripture reading because we want to meet God. We, we want time with him. Oftentimes, you know, we've, you know, whether it's 24 hours or 48 or however long it's been since we read last, we open his word to hear his voice and be encouraged. And I think one of the challenges as we're reading through the scripture together is we get in Leviticus and all of a sudden you open your, your Bible and you're reading about mold in your house. And, and if it's a certain color, you can't go to the tabernacle. If it's another color, you're okay. And then it's like skin diseases. And this kind of skin disease is okay, but if an itch, you know, and it's, <laughs> all of a sudden you're like, this isn't encouraging me at all, um, you know? And so what I want to do is just help you see how Jesus read the law. You know, when we're reading the Old Testament, it's helpful to think that this is all uh, Jesus and, and the apostles, they spoke and they explained who God was and who God is, who Jesus is. They used the Old Testament. And so <clears throat> there's this common misconception, I think, as we look at uh, Jesus. There's this mis- misconception that Jesus is easy and the Old Testament is hard. Right? The Old Testament is hard. Jesus is, is easy. And I think part of this is that that whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, uh, there's this idea kind of that Jesus is um, my homeboy, right? I said it. 
Last time I was in Hot Topic, a store in the mall, was in the 90s. And they had this whole line of clothing that was Jesus is my homeboy. I don't know if this store still exists, but, and I did go there in the 90s, okay? I don't know if you want me to be your pastor still. But, <laughs> but this concept that, that Jesus is, is cool, I'm, I'm okay with Jesus. And then we read the Old Testament and it's, it's talking about circumcision or it's talking about the destruction of the Canaanite people or all these things that were like, man, how do I reconcile that with who Jesus is? And so we're going to dive into Jesus' first sermon, his longest first sermon, um, called the Sermon on the Mount. And, and it's easy to think of this as like his inaugural address, as Jesus is starting his ministry on earth. These are the things that, that he sees as most important and, and just the way he wants to start. And so he starts with the Beatitudes, which is like the kingdom ethics, and then we get into his explanation of his relationship with the law. And so if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 5 starting in verse 17. Matthew 5, verse 17, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So before we go on, I want you to see that Jesus, twice he says, I have. I have. And this is really important, even though it might, might seem you know, not as important. Jesus literally saying the foundation is me now because I'm doing this. But it's not like the other prophets, it's not like the other teachers of the law at the time who are saying God is doing this. Jesus literally is saying, I am fulfilling these things. I have done this. Super significant. Going on, he says, for truly I tell you until heaven and earth disappear Not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And this is really hopeful because for us who are reading Leviticus, Numbers, you know, and we're we're kind of in there, we, we long for the accomplishment that those things will be kind of sealed. And that's what he's saying. He's saying it is, it's possible that can happen. 19, therefore anyone who sets aside the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness, unless your goodness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is significant because the, the Pharisees were the people who others would come to to get to know God better, to, to be uh, in a relationship with God that worked, right? And people were, they, they came to the Pharisees because the Pharisees had taken the law and they'd actually added to it, right? They'd added all these other laws to help clarify what we get in Leviticus and Numbers and Exodus. And so he's saying, unless your righteousness, unless your ability to follow the law is more or better or surpasses that of the Pharisees, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so the question is, is, is Jesus making this harder or easier? Jesus is actually saying, your righteousness, your works, your good deeds will have to surpass what you've already read. And so he goes on to show what it looks like to have surpassing righteousness. A righteousness even more righteous than that we find in the law. And he says this. 
you've heard that it was said to people long ago. You've heard that it said, all these, you've heard that it said come from Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You've heard it said, don't murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sisters will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which is like, curse you or detest you, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. So what's he saying here? He's saying, you've heard it said, don't murder. We're like, okay, get that. I'm not going to slice somebody. Haven't done that. Well, Jesus says, you know what? If you have been angry with somebody, you are just as bad. You've murdered them in your heart. If you've just been angry with somebody, say you're, you're you know, late to work and you're driving really fast and it's your fault that you're late. It's, right? It's not your unironed shirt's fault. It's your fault because you didn't iron it earlier. And, you know, and somebody cuts you off and you're like, yeah, curse you, right? Like that anger, literally, like our reaction to people. And right, that is murder. And I think for us, it's like, okay, I, I get that. Shouldn't be, shouldn't be angry. Well, Jesus goes on. He says, therefore, if you're offering a gift at the altar, and remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. This is awesome. Jesus is saying, like, you think what's most important is just this thing that you bring to me? Because I can see your heart. If you have something against somebody else, go take care of that. Settle matters quickly with your adversary taking you to court. Do it while you are still, still on your way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown in prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Right, this sounds pretty hard. Check this out. He says, you have heard that it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Is this easier or is this harder? It's harder. This surpassing righteousness that Jesus is showing us is actually harder. He's going, adultery isn't just sleeping with somebody. If you, if any of you, all of us have looked lustfully at someone else, that is adultery. It's so easy for us, right, to cast a stone. And Jesus is saying, you can't do that. And he's so, he, he's so vigorous about this that he literally, he says, it is better for you to lose an eye it's better for you to lose that. And I, and I think we're just so used to reading these things and going, oh, Jesus, you're exaggerating. Jesus is joking again. No, he's not joking. Like, literally, it's better for you to be blind than to go to hell. These are very serious words. I remember hearing um, a story of a, of a pastor, a wise pastor, and this, this young group of pastors came around him, and, and they were saying, if there's one thing you could tell us, what would that be? And he he pauses and he, he kind of looks down and he looks up and he goes cut out your eyes before you look lustfully at somebody else like, Jesus isn't joking this is serious 
Um, He has a couple other laws, but I want to bring you down to verse 43. And he says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And this is really interesting because the the Old Testament law does say love your neighbor and, and hate your enemy. And what Jesus is actually referring to isn't something written in the law and hate your enemy, but a law that was added on by the Pharisees, because reading the Old Testament and the law, they got vengeful and they were like, my enemy is God's enemy. My enemy is God's enemy. And so they were like, you know what's easy to do? Is everyone I don't like, God also doesn't like. (laughs) It's a scary place to be. And so he says, but I tell you something harder than hate. You know what's harder than hate? Love. (laughs) <laughs> that's way harder because you know what rises up in you all of a sudden when you've been around somebody a long time or, or maybe meet somebody for a new time hate we just found out what is that that's murder right so what's harder do that which is to love your enemies and to pray for them right if you're working in the shipyard and, and someone slights you or just tries to you know, prove their dominance over you and just treats you like you're little what do you do don't hate them Love them. That's harder. That's way harder to do. And in that way, you will be children of your Father in heaven because your Father loves. He causes his Son to rise on evil and good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet your, only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so as we read the Old Testament law, and after almost every law, it says, so be holy as the Lord your God is holy. Just saying, be like God. And, and, and I think, you know, with the Pharisees, we spiritualize that. And so you're just like, okay, you're spiritualizing it. You're not, you're not seeing your relationship with that. So I'm telling you what it looks like. Perfection. Perfection. Be perfect because God is perfect. And what we do is we go, if we're honest, We can't do that. So the question is, why then, if this is what Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying, like, pluck out your eye before something worse happens to you. Why do we hear Jesus saying those things and we're like, but he's so nice. Like, he's just, 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 you know, it makes me just feel good when I hear Jesus. And the reason for that is because Jesus is good. And, and there's three things, I think, that, that make it easier for us to think about Jesus than think about God who speaks in the Old Testament. And there's three things. The first is because I think we hear Jesus' tone of voice. See, it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? That we get Jesus, we get God who comes to live with us. We, it says we've seen the glory of the one and only. That's who Jesus is. We don't just see him like this cloud of fire, but literally we see him and he's speaking with us. And so as Jesus is going, guys, guys, it's, it's better for you to lose your eyes. It's better for you to do that, right? And he, say, he starts his whole sermon saying what? Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right? And we, we hear his voice and we see the way he acts and the way he's embracing. He's saying, come to me, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden. And so we hear his tone of voice. And I think this is so important because when we read the Old Testament, I think we read a tone of voice into God that is just completely wrong. 
right? So we're reading what God is saying in the Old Testament, reading his laws, and we're hearing him being like, you failure. Like, I think I do, I do this. I read the Old Testament, and then I get to a passage where God is like, and so love me, right? Greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I've just read about, like, mold, right? And so I'm reading about mold, <laughs> You have no idea what I'm talking about if you haven't read Leviticus, but they do. It's like these elaborate things about like testing what kind of mold's in your house. And, and so you're reading that and then you're like, love the Lord your God. And all of a sudden when I get to that part in Deuteronomy and I just hear the tenderness of God like inviting us to be his people, I hear a tone that I need to go back and I do. I've been reading through, I go back and I read with that tone of voice. Not, not this tone that I've given him, but I read with the tone I hear when I'm hearing Jesus speak to me because Jesus is the fullness of God. It's a tone that we read with. The second thing is we've, we've, we've heard his tone and I think in Jesus we, we see his fulfillment of the law that we could not fulfill ourselves. Right? We see Jesus hanging on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. They don't have a clue. Like, they don't have a clue what they're doing. Father, forgive them. And so we see him, and so it makes us relate with him, right? And, and the, the fact is, when we see Jesus, we see God. He's not different, right? That's who we see. We hear him, right? When we, when we hear him, and we see him, and we feel him, right? I think when we watch Jesus walking, we literally, we feel his presence as he's communicating to the people, and that's why Jesus seems easy and the Old Testament seems hard. But as I explain those things, do you, do you hear all those things come together? That isn't, isn't God in the Old Testament and Jesus in the New Testament. Jesus is saying, I'm fulfilling that. I haven't cast that aside or got away from that. All those things, that's me. I'm the word made flesh. Like, that's me speaking. Same tongue, same sight, same God. And so he draws this, this clear connection for us as he is kicking off his ministry with the Sermon on the Mount. So, so important. And so is the law harder or easier? In one way, yes, it's harder because we feel this chasm in the presence of God and his people in the Old Testament that I I don't think we feel in the New Testament with the death and resurrection of Jesus. So yes, in a way it's harder because we feel this, this distance But in another way, it's not because the same requirement is being made of both, which is to trust and obey. To trust and obey, right? Old Testament, they weren't saved by works. No one's ever been saved by their own works. New Testament, they're not saved by their works. It's by grace they've been saved and that same grace that is given to both. So, how do we read the Old Testament with these eyes? Well, we, we find what everything centers around. And see, the point of the law, and this, this is our big idea, the point of the law is the presence of God. The point of the law isn't just mold, right? point of the law isn't circumcision. The point of the law is, is the presence of God. And, and, and where we see that is that that all these things were written and so they could come to the tabernacle and see God and meet with God. All these things are centered around 
him dwelling with them. And we see that throughout the Old Testament, which I'll show you. So in Exodus 6, Jesus, or well, Jesus, yes, God says simply, I will take you as my people and I will be your God. And then we see in Exodus 33, which we looked at last week, the Lord saying, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And what he gives for his presence to go with him is this thing called the, the tabernacle. And the tabernacle literally means dwelling. It's where God will dwell among his people. And we see this then in Exodus 40, where they've built the tabernacle, this dwelling place for God. And it says, the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. It says, Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So all these things, everything else you're reading is centering in. As the people read the law, they weren't focused on those things. They were were being brought back into this center, which is the, the presence of God. And you can hear this come out so beautifully in the Psalms. Check out Psalm 46. He says, God You are our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the most high tabernacles. That's the word. Dwelling, it's tabernacle. Place where the most high tabernacles. God is within her she will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in an upper kingdom's fall. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress because he dwells among us. See, all these things, all these other things is coming back to this, this center. Psalm 80, 84 says this, how lovely is your tabernacle, right? How lovely is your tabernacle, O God, my soul yearns and even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. And you remember, we were just singing, better is one day in your courts, better is one day in the house. And I think sometimes when I sing it, like, it kind of takes me a while before I'm like, yeah, right? Like, better is one day in your tabernacle. Better is one day dwelling with you. Dwelling with you. That's where he's centering us. And jumping to John 1. This is awesome. It says, the word became flesh and made his tabernacle among us right that it's the same idea the same dwelling among us that God has come to dwell among his people that this God that dwelt among them centered them around himself has now centered us on Jesus came to dwell among us we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and we hear the tone with which he speaks, we see the way he acts, we see his fulfillment, and we feel his presence. And as Jesus gave his life for us in his death, and the curtain was torn open, he was raised with power, the incredible thing is it comes one step closer. One step closer is in 1 Corinthians 6, it says that, that you are the temple of the living God. In 1 Peter 2, it says that we are like living stones being built up into a house within God will dwell. And so, so these laws that we read that, that seem so hard to understand, Jesus points back to them. He says it's actually way harder 
than you're thinking. But all those things are centering you back on on him. Find your center. My advice for you as you read Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and you're challenged by these things, is going, how is this centering me? Don't, Don't get... Caught up in the periphery, I think one of the most powerful illustrations for this is, uh, I've used this before, but like a merry-go-round, how, you know, if you're on a merry-go-round, the old, like, death traps as a child, um, where, where, you know, you're running around, and everyone jumps on, and a couple of poor kids get terrible concussions, you know, because they, they just, like, they don't got the upper body strength to hold on, uh, yeah. But the closer you are to the center right, if you get to the center of that merry-go-round, you're just like, like giggling and you're laughing and it's like, this is the best time ever, right? <laughs> like, find that center, find the center. If you are out on the periphery, I think you're going to be hanging on as you read Leviticus. I'm just like, ah! right? And you don't got the theological upper body strength to hold on, right? <laughs> but as you, as you find that center, the Right, because what is the point of the law? The point of the law is the presence of God, not mold. Not mold, right? The, find your center, find the presence of God, because the point of the law is the presence of God, and it all points to Jesus who made his dwelling among us. Who made his dwelling among us. It's amazing. And not just among us, but the guys, one step closer, right? Within us. And so this is the amazing thing as you read, right? As you read, you're not just praying to a God who's just going to speak from outside of you, but a God who will speak from within as you've set yourself to follow him and prayed, God, I am not righteous. I, I don't have a holiness of my own. I can't have your Holy Spirit dwell in me, your Holy Spirit, like the spirit that, like that when Jesus was walking and they saw his holiness and they'd like fall down to me like, get away from me, right? Like I, I can't have you one step closer, I can't have you in me. <laughs> That's exactly what Jesus is offering, that, that literally by his wounds we can be healed and restored and our sins, that we can one day, like the song Cornerstone said, like one day stand before God, right? Stand before God, faultless. Not because you fulfilled the law perfectly, but because Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly. And, and, and I think we still keep it exterior. Don't keep it exterior. Now because we're faultless before him, now he fills us. And as we learn to pray, it's, it's learning to hear God who's speaking from within. It's crazy. I feel crazy saying that because it's like, I don't, I don't I'm not good enough. I can't do that. But God made you for that. You, you get this? He made you for it. And he sent Jesus. He came himself to make a way for you to be filled with him, to be tabernacled in. Guys, I just want to encourage you to explore that this week. Pray with me. Oh, Father, we, we pray that um, our view of you and our view of ourself that has distracted us or made us um, scared to enter into the entirety of your Bible, God, that we can hear, hear from you and, and you'll show us as we, as we read that you're, you're calling us to genuinely, sincerely love you with all our heart, soul, mind, strength. You're making a way for us to do that. 
I pray that maybe for the first time this week that some of us will actually hear you speak from, from inside of us um, as you made us to be a temple of the living God, your temple. And we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.